Welcome to Let's Get Two, the baseball podcast from the fans' perspective. Now, here's your host, James Christopher. And welcome to a special Let's Get Two. We have a, well, not great conversation to have. And and I, I want to have it in the context of understanding that everything that we talk about for the next 45 minutes to an hour, it is a longer episode, is not trying to dismay, dis, displace, or, or downplay the effects of the coronavirus of COVID-19. It is not about trying to, again, ignore that. We want everything you listen to and that, that some of our guests are going to get pretty fired up about the topic at hand. Is it that we think that, that in none of this, that it's unimportant to think about COVID-19? Um, we've had a medical expert, Dr. Wesley Long on our show. That's how serious we take it. We have advocated for, all the things that you need to do for social distancing. That's how, so that's, we, we take it seriously. So I just want everything you listen to with the caveat that what happens in this episode, the people that we talk to and what we're talking about and the exploitation of the coronavirus crisis, at no point do we think it's fake. At no point do we think it's not should be taken seriously. So just to have that be your caveat. Now, one of the things that happened when the Astros were, busted for electronically stealing signs and then communicating with the trash can, a punishment that most of the fans, Astros fans that have come on this show to talk about their team agree with. But one of the things that really grossed me out was all of the other fans of teams, but most importantly, other players on other teams wagging fingers at us talking about the integrity of the game. And the integrity of the game is in question. And just the holier-than-thou look at how they think the game should be ran and how they have a better idea and how that they are so morally right and and everybody else is so morally wrong and, and the Astros are morally wrong and things like we're supposed to leave this game better than we found it. That always rang hollow to me because I understand the history of baseball and I understand about the Black Sox and Thompson's home run and everybody's doctoring um, baseballs and all of the 86 Mets being on cocaine. I understand the history of the game and I've always been able to, like an adult, put a organization made up of human beings and therefore uh, flawed at times aside. And as I've said before, I am a Catholic. I'm still a Catholic. That organization isn't perfect. My family has disappointed me. I have disappointed my family. I don't bail on anybody. 
But the hypocrisy of this integrity of the game and leave it better came really to fruition. And we'll start to see the impact of that years from now when Major League Baseball and the Players Union signed their CBA. And everybody was excited because, oh, look at this. We all compromised. And what we did was we compromised the future of the game. Things like reducing the draft from 40 rounds roughly to five and reducing the money to go to draft picks has quite directly created the path for Major League Baseball to do the contraction of 42 baseball teams under the cover, the, under the cover excuse me, of COVID-19. And it's gross. They are using a pandemic to wipe out a small business much and doing it under the cover of darkness and doing it in a way in which they're celebrating collaboration when all that really happened was a bunch of rich people and a bunch of rich people got together and agreed to stay rich together while ignoring the poor people trying to make it into the game. By creating less opportunity for amateur players to make it into the game. That is what happens when they reduce the draft. They are threatening those small businesses, many of which are family owned, where they scrape money together because all they ever wanted to do was own a baseball team. They wanted to be part of that culture. Major League Baseball doing this. Major League Baseball allowing for the path to get rid of these minor league teams is no different than Walmart moving in and taking over the local hardware store you used to go to. There's actually no difference. It's just that we're aware of one because we all are aware of those hard, those hardware stores. We're not necessarily aware of what's happening to some of these minor league baseball teams in the Appalachian League. Those of you who are who really want to see the impact of that, I recommend reading Jeff Passan's piece in ESPN, I think it was today. Maybe it was yesterday. Let's be honest, we're all quarantined. These days run together. Jeff Passan pointed out that one of the thoughts might be is that they might not even field single A, low A, high A, rookie ball teams. And instead letting them play at the spring tra- spring training complexes. Not understanding or caring because they understand that they are basically going back on investments made in good faith to those owners. Think about that for a second. People that own minor league baseball teams are not billionaires. Yeah, they make a lot more money than probably you or I do, right? I'm I'm having a Twitter conversation right now with my good buddies before the pitch, and we're both teachers. So, yes, they're making more money than we are. I'm so fired up this morning about it. That's why this is uh, my opening monologue probably seems a little more less organized because I generally speak and, you know, write an an outline. And I got no other outline other than stealing small business who cares about integrity of the game. Literally what it says. You are reducing your ability to grow the game by removing 
low-level minor league baseball teams from those communities. You are, in some cases, stealing money from those communities that put money into stadium renovations and player development renovations in good faith. You are stealing tax dollars from communities that can least afford to have their tax dollars stolen. So this episode is going to be about that. We are going to have Michael for Save MILB on the show. We are going to have Tom Reisenweber, who covers the Erie Seawolves on the show. And then I'm going to include three interviews from previous episodes in case you missed them. I'm going to include an interview with the owner of the Binghamton Rumble Ponies. I'm going to include an interview with Congresswoman Trahan from Massachusetts. And we're going to have the mayor of Chattanooga, Tennessee, back on the show. Basically, I'm going to include those interviews in whole so you can hear from three different groups of people about how this contraction is going to affect them. I love baseball so much. I am... I miss it so much. I have had a year where... I have needed a baseball season more, never, more than I needed this year. And I had so many road trips planned knowing that I was going to walk into booze because I would be wearing Astros gear. But I just needed to be at the game. So understand that when I say that, and then I follow it up with Major League Baseball itself as an organization is one of the most vile, one of the most poorly ran organizations, period. And definitely compared to some of the other major American sports. I can't speak to FIFA. I I understand that that's a highly corrupt organization as well. I can't speak to that. But to see how under the cover of darkness, they are going to use this financial crisis to potentially rob small business owners of their businesses to rob some communities where all they have is their minor league baseball team is nothing short of disgusting and abhorrent. I hope you stick with us and hear from the perspectives of some of the people that are going to be most affected by all of this. On deck, the Let's Get To Interview of the Week, brought to you by Fine Line Sportswear. And we're excited to welcome to the On Deck segment of Let's Get To, Mike Majeski. He runs SaveMILB.org on Twitter. Mike, how are you today? I am doing excellent. How are you? I'm I'm doing great. And I got to be honest, when I came across you on social media, which I'm going to be honest with you, first of all, nine times out of 10, social media is a cesspool. I was super A, glad to find somebody like-minded, but I think I immediately messaged you and, and had you come on the show. So... Tell me a little bit before we jump into this, how did you become a baseball fan in the first place? Where did this kind of passion for the game come from? Absolutely. So I, I grew up in a, a small town in Vermont where baseball was really not all that accessible on the day to day. And in 1994, uh, Ray Pecor brought the Jamestown Jammers from the New York Penn League to Burlington, Vermont, and they became the Vermont Expos. And that's where I spent my summers from age 10 until I graduated college and left Vermont. And I, I had the 
the great opportunity to work for the Expos as a, as an intern. Um, they're now called the Lake Monsters. They were the last team in baseball to be called the Expos, which is a pretty cool claim to fame. And ever since then, I, 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 I grew up thinking I was going to be a major league baseball GM. It didn't work out that way, but I, I, I grew up and um, had that passion for the game. And at college, I moved more towards the um, liberal arts and social sciences. And I was a history major and my interest in cultural history of sport really um, allowed me to, to sink my teeth into some, some bigger ideas. And that's what led me to go to grad school first for a master's in history. And then later on, I was at the university of Iowa, which has this really amazing program for those who are interested. It's a, uh, a sports studies program within their American studies department, which is more like a sport history. So it's more like cultural history and sociology and um, media studies. So I was in the PhD program for a while. My wife and I were both at Iowa. Um, at that time, I I was geeking out because I was spending half my summers in North Carolina that has the Appalachians, South Atlantic, yeah. Carolina, International League, right. USA Baseball. I mean, just ridiculous amounts of baseball there. And at the same time, I was also in Eastern Iowa that had Midwest League and a two-hour trip to Des Moines to go see some PCL games. So I, I was living my best life in terms of minor <laughs> league baseball goes um, during my time at Iowa. Uh, didn't finish the PhD, unfortunately, but I've been involved with professional sports, um, both professionally as a researcher and academically as a researcher. And when I saw that Major League Baseball made the announcement that they wanted to cut the minor leagues by 25%, at first, I was very skeptical about how serious they were about it, what what they thought their process would be. But as when that news broke on October 19th until January, I saw they were not backing down and they were not leaving these teams a position to negotiate. And I, I reached out to uh, CJ Knudsen, who's now the uh, senior vice president of the Norwich Sea Unicorns. He was the um, general manager for the Vermont Expos when I worked there. And I, I just talked to him about my ideas about getting involved with social media and some of the things that I can do as an outsider, because for a lot of these minor league teams, they're in a very difficult position. They, they can't openly criticize major league baseball <laughs> right. because they're still trying to develop partnerships, with major league baseball. They, and they're still tied to it. And they have a season so, to get through. I mean, exactly. Yeah. And, and like right now, like if you need to convince a major league team that um, you need to do certain things right now in during the season, or, or more importantly, you need to convince your owner, the community and investors that you need to spend, you know, Fifteen to twenty thousand dollars to replace the lights. You you are in a very difficult position to convince them to get that stadium up to spec for twenty twenty when they're saying to themselves, "Well, Major League Baseball is going to just yank you out of our community 
come September. So why, why pump money into that? Well, let's, so uh, let's I walk under- through, let's walk through the story and I'm, I'm going to want you walk. I'm going to start when I first found out about it and dovetail into when you first found out about it, because for me, everything from the moment this started has felt shady. And I would even argue so much about why major league baseball has let the Astros be the story is to keep this not from not being the story. Because I think I've said up front on the show a bunch of times, I am an Astros fan. I am not proud of a lot of the things they've done. I am more Mm -hmm. mad about them basically being the foundation for this plan than anything that has to do with a trash can during 2017. So I first saw it sometime around September in an obscure article on 538 that said that that teams were following the way the Astros are doing minor league baseball. And then I saw probably the same thing you saw in October about the, about the, the collection of teams. And they just kept saying low a and rookie ball teams. And then the, then sometime in late October into November, the list of teams leaks. And all of a sudden, some of the more iconic teams in minor league baseball, the Chattanooga lookouts come to mind are on that list. And I, and it does seem like major league baseball has dug heels and has doubled down on this being their plan. I wanted to get your thought on the timeline before we kind of go into really how all this affects outside of some baseball teams that maybe people haven't ever heard of. Absolutely. So, you know, in terms of the timeline, I, I I think that major league baseball made that this announcement at a time that was incredibly convenient for them. The world series is wrapping up or has wrapped up. Um, I can't like, depending on which date you're going with, whether you're going with baseball America's October 19th story or when um, the New York times started publishing on it, but it's, it's at the point of the year where it's football season is starting college basketball is all the conversation. So in terms of sports media, attention is elsewhere and you have this event that's going to affect 42 communities and 20 states. And like you said, it's, it's not just the, the low A teams. And, and I, I, I want to say this, I, I have so much love for the, the short season teams. Um, so I'm not trying to take away anything from them, but it's, it's going to affect much more of minor league baseball than I think what initially we all thought it would involve. And the timing of it, it's convenient for major league baseball. It's the off season. This is a time where people are not paying attention to these stories. The minor league teams are months away from being able to even do things like publish their promotional calendars, do the, the, the business of baseball that they have to do. So this is, this is a very convenient time for major league baseball to break the story. In my opinion, excuse me, as far as the Astros and now the Red Sox goes, yeah, I I think that I'm I'm going to save my opinions about Rob Manfred and Dan Halem uh, (laughs) for later. Um, But I, I do think that this is as far as drawing the spotlight away from the impact this will have, for the long-term growth of baseball um, and the effect, impact this will have on local community businesses. 
um, because to me, this is, I think these two things go hand in hand. I grew up in a, in a community where you didn't have many major league games on television. And if you did, it was, it was most of the Red Sox. And, um, uh, we, we won't talk about affiliations here because I'm a Yankees fan, but, <laughs> but, um, you know, like you don't have the chance to watch baseball every day in a lot of these communities, except at the minor league ballparks. And that's where it, I really grew. My, my love for the game grew and developed. I always liked baseball from a, from a child's perspective, but that's where I, I became a lifelong fan. And I think that major league baseball is looking in terms of short-term economics, because yeah, if you reduce the major league baseball draft, which is tied very much hand in hand with reducing the minor leagues, um, if you were to do that, you are going to really cut almost all your minor league overhead. Because each year, Major League Baseball receives a ticket tax from the minor leagues. This year, the the 30 teams received approximately two-thirds of a million dollars. And if you were to take a look at how much they pay their minor leaguers, your full-season A-ball player makes about $5,500 a year. They're putting well under a, mi- a million dollars, and I'm being very, very liberal with that number Yeah, um, into their minor league organizations each season. And to me, it just seems like it's, it's not, it's not in the best interest of the national pastime. And if we're looking at major league baseball as, as the people who are supposed to be the custodians of the game, they're not working within the best interest of the no. Game. And so I look at this as affecting the sport in three areas. And I kind of want to take each one in turn. So, because I think a lot of my audience are major league focused. Um, this, this started out as sort of an educational program for a lot of the people that I know that you like the Yankees or the, or the Red Sox or the Mets or the Astros. So first and foremost, the thing that people can understand, I don't think people recognize the financial impact that both these minor league teams bring to the community, nor mm-hmm. the financial impact that these communities infest in these teams. Um, thinking about like the Missoula Pat- Paddleheads who just went through a rebrand or um, teams like the Erie Seawolves that are putting tax dollars into refurbishing stadiums. Speak to that a little bit about just that economic part of it. And then we'll get to the cultural, moral growth of the game part that, that, people are going to have to really use their faraway eyes for uh, talk a little bit about just about the economic exchange that happens and how important it is to some of these small towns. Absolutely. So um, I've, I'm not going to name names because I've been asked not to, but I've, I've spoken with um, local municipal governments, uh, people who work within it, like city managers and mayors, as well as um, some general managers. And when, some of the communities that I I've spoken with, I've been to, and and they are communities that a large portion of the population lives right around the national poverty line. And the community is investing hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars into the ballpark, because 
those ball teams contribute over a million dollars each season to the local economy in terms of the money they're spending on buying concessions at, um, or, or or just pumping back to money into the community through tax revenue, um, charitable contributions, etc. I I um I, I was just crunching some numbers the other day, and there's these three communities within Eastern Tennessee. It's Elizabethan, which are the Twins uh, rookie ball, the Appy League team. Okay. Kingsport, which are the Mets, and Johnson City, which are the Cardinals. And I figured that the amount of money they pumped back into those three cities would be equivalent of every taxpayer paying about $18 and 97 cents additional just to local, local uh, taxes each year based on the amount of money those teams pumped into the community. And I think that most, most pl- people would be surprised if they saw their taxes, you know, 1897 doesn't sound like much, but when you are making $17,000 a year, 20 bucks goes a long way. And, and those 20 and those community and those teams do a very good job out trying to engage these communities and provide affordable family fun to people who are in places that have, you know, struggled financially over the past 50, 60 years. And when I look at the communities that are being affected by this, you know, it's overwhelmingly Rust Belt communities or former uh, mining or mill communities. You know, these these towns that seemingly corporate America has forgotten or just ignored and pulled out of. And Major League Baseball seems to be doing the same thing. So on a financial level, the impact is going to be tremendous to these small communities. On a but that also ties into what you were saying, like what well, we'll get to was the moral level, which is, you know, how do you take this away from folks? And if I, if I'm, if I can put an idea out there, you know, the major league baseball is doing this yet. Major league baseball is also going to benefit from being the only game in town on MLB TV packages. So I, I one of the things that I've, I've, I've asked some people to do and I, I'm, kind of keeping in the the spirit of minor league baseball with the gimmickiness of uh, some of the promotions is to ask their representatives, listen, we, um, I'm just making, I'm just giving a hypothetical example here, but we, the people of Princeton and Bluefield, West Virginia, which are neighboring communities, uh, we refuse to pay for MLB TV as part of our cable package because if, Major League Baseball can walk away from us. We should have the same right to walk away from them. And and I'm encouraging people to to try to do some of these grassroots measures, even if even if we know that they cannot legally pass. It's the idea of sending a message that if you walk away from these communities, they will remember this, and they they want to take it out on you because you're taking away you know, let's say that some of the rookie teams, at least four full-time jobs. And, and more often than not, um, I know the Penn league, most teams carry about 10 to 12 full-time employees plus seasonal employees, plus the money that goes back into the community because they get beer from local vendors. They get their food from local vendors. 
Um, and they often partner with local businesses in terms of who, who they're um, fulfilling orders through. So whether they're printing programs or memorabilia and merchandise and even like Brandios, which is um, company I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with because oh, yeah. I've watched the YouTube channel and love your hat <laughs> collection. Um, you know, like that's going to have a huge impact on, on their business because not only is that 25% of the minor leagues, but it's also the Copa de Divertida and all the alternate logos. Like it's, it's having a widespread effect that goes beyond I think what most people think of where they're thinking, well, you know, it thinks that the the local rookie team is going to dissolve and, you know, that sucks, but it's going to have a, it, it, if they're thinking to themselves, maybe that's going to, you know, hurt five to 10 people seriously. It's not, it's going to have a, a no, widespread impact. It's a whole ecosystem. And so to that, to that morality part of it, or I guess the cultural part, because that, that, that also, again, it's a spider web and there's no one, one, one area. One thing you touched on was we're talking about a part of the country. And I noticed this because, and this is where Manfred has a problem. I think an intellectual problem with this, because one of the things they mentioned was, well, the road trips are too long. Yet no Texas League team was touched, and the Texas League has the longest road trips in affiliated minor league baseball. Uh, yeah, it's a. But what does Texas League have? Bigger cities, bigger communities. Um, we had the big. We had the owner of the Binghamton Rumble Ponies on, and he talked about how that that community has been punched in the gut with jobs leaving IBM and stuff. And in some cases, all they have left is the Rumble Ponies. And then you want to take that away. And it, it, it seems to me, look, I get that we're Americans. I am a capitalist. I want, I love the free market, but at some point the free market can't come at the expense of the people in our country. Exactly. Yes. And for these major league teams, for these, you know, 30 teams and, um, my wife is Canadian. I used to live in Canada, so I'm not hating on the Blue Jays, but 29 teams in the United States to to take away from 42 communities in order to save these this industry that, that made $10.7 billion last year, I think. Um, on average, you know, a few hundred thousand dollars per team. Uh, you're... you're you're sending a very strong message and that is we are greedy. Uh, there, there's no two way about two ways about it. I think any business that makes $10.7 billion a year that says, listen, I'm going to have to invest half a million dollars a year into players who we may never use, but it's good for the long-term growth and success of our game. It's like some businesses or, or some um, business owners who operate multiple businesses. One never turns, you know, like one never produces a dime, but it helps facilitate business growth in all these other areas. I, I think it's short-sighted. And I, uh, the only thing I can think of is greed. And it's these are owners who just don't care, who are in it to make as much money as possible over the next handful of years. And that's one of my uh, big complaints with major league baseball's response to minor league baseball, because they are pretending like these minor league owners are making hand over fist 
and are greedy and are trying to fleece communities where you, when you just take a look at the dollars and cents of baseball operations and you see how little major league teams actually invest in their minor league organizations and just take a look at what the Mets did. They just dropped $57 million on their, their St. Lucie spring training facilities. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's gorgeous, but that's, that's what six weeks out of the year with pitchers and catchers and maybe rehabbing players throughout the season. It is, it's a poor use of funds. And when you take a look at the amount of dead money on the books in baseball, you know, if you're if you're supposedly such a smart business person. Well, hold on. Let me, let me stop have- you real, real quick, because I think you've left out a major point. And then they made a point of telling the minor league players that they can't use it until they, quote, earn it. And I'm like, your job is to develop those players. This isn't you're trying to earn the logo on the side of your football helmet in college. And I so I thought the whole excuse for building that clubhouse and making a point of telling whatever their minor league club down in Florida is, they couldn't use it, was almost the worst part of that story. So full disclosure, we actually recorded this interview with Michael with the intent of dropping it during minor league baseball's opening week. The video, the original ending had some calls to action of what we wanted fans to do at games to help remind Major League Baseball and the people in Congress and, and all the people that can actually impact the future of these minor league teams, things that they could do to help. Well, because of the coronavirus, we won't be at minor league baseball games in April. And so I wanted to get Michael back on to record a new ending to get his take on the news of the reduced draft and the Jeff Passant article that talked about some of the moving of the A teams just to spring training sites in the matter of health and expediency. Michael, um, in the interim from our original interview to now, the CBA gets signed. Everybody celebrates. A couple of things you and I noticed and also some stuff that Jeff Passan sort of interpreted in his article about on ESPN that I wanted to now bring up to you in light of your website, SaveMILB.org. So starting with um, the drastic reduction of draft rounds, this immediately was a red flag from you. Why did it immediately cause you to be noticed? Well, it was definitely, um, definitely huge disheartening news when that came out because on paper, the deal reads very innocuously for the future of professional baseball. Um, so to, to go back to it, major league baseball and the players association agreed to a, um, uh, terms with regards to service time and compensation during the 2020 season. And in response to the COVID um, 19 shutdown of that 2020 season, but owners got this, they presented their issue as a cash flow problem and they reduced the draft from 40 rounds to five in 2020 and down to 20 or so rounds in 2021 and this is a, a huge issue for the short season clubs who are the biggest targets of Major League Baseball's contraction of the minor leagues. So uh, to go back to our earlier points, the Northwest League will likely become a full season club, um, a organization similar to the Midwest League and the South Atlantic League is now. But the Pioneer League, the Appalachian League, the... Um, for the rookie leagues and the New York Penn league and the Northwest league for short season leagues, uh, they, they rely heavily on the draft to field their clubs. So 
give you an example. Last year, there were 1,200 players drafted in the first year players draft. And a large portion of those teams from those leagues that I mentioned, the Appy, the Pioneer, the New York Penn and the Northwest League, a large portion of those teams come from that that year's draft. Well, so, and, and to add a point, like so and, and people need to know that this isn't just players picking the, the 30th round. Like uh, we've had Jess Canastra on the show and Jess loves to tell the story of when he was a first year intern at the Quad Cities River Brand Bandits. One of his first jobs was to pick up Alex Bregman from uh, from the airport to have him go play. And the fact is, is that short season in low A ball you're getting the top-notch prospects. It isn't just going to be like people are like, well, these 15 rounds of guys wouldn't play anyway. Who cares? So I think to your point, it isn't like that. Well, I mean, take a look at this past year. Adley Rutschman started in Aberdeen, which is one of the – it's the New York Penn League. It's one of the, the short season leagues that's being targeted. Wander Franco spent his entire first year with the Princeton Rays of the Appalachian League of the Rookie League team. Um, and then if you just take a look at the talent that's come through, you're absolutely right. It's not, we're not looking at, um, the scraps, so to speak, but what we are seeing is this attempt by major league baseball to, to really just gut the draft in order to achieve their goals. And I think it's insidious. I think they are using COVID-19 in order to really extradite their their goals of eliminating these 42 teams and completely restructuring the minors. Um, and, and this isn't, and, and like you said, there's the Jeff Passan and Kyla McDaniel article, Carlos Colazzo of MLB, or I'm sorry, not of MLB, God, definitely not MLB, of Baseball America <laughs> um, has, has written about this um, and said that there are scouts and um, major league baseball executives that or I should say minor league baseball executives that he's spoken with that, that seem to reaffirm this idea that the reduction in the draft is really part of a conscious plan to change the, the landscape of minor league baseball in order to facilitate these contractions. And ultimately, you know, the, one of the questions that remains is what is MLB's end game? And this was, I don't want to name names, but I've I've been lucky enough to talk to some people in minor league baseball. And one of the, the questions that's been floated by me is, you know, well, what do I think is, 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 is really what, what does major league baseball want out of this? Because they think, or at least there is a, there is kind of this rumor mill circulating among some of the people in minor league baseball that major league baseball is looking to completely change their relationship to the minors to be a very dominant and controlling um, paternalistic organization that the CBA, uh, I'm sorry, the PBA, the professional baseball agreement that is um, slated to, you know, expire 2020, the, the 2020, 2021 PBA, um, instead of going 10 years and taking us into 2030, you know, one of the theory, major league baseball is pushing for a five-year PBA. And one of the theories that is being floated by some of these people within minor league baseball, um, is this, this thought and this concern that major league baseball is, is trying to, control the minor leagues in order to eventually 
either replace um, these lower level miners um, with these complex leagues. So just keep the A ball organizations in complexes eventually, and then just, you know, have your double A and triple A cities um, remaining, or they want to buy out the minor leagues altogether and, and, monopolize professional baseball. So let's, let's back up from there. So one of the things that the Jeff Passan article talked about to your point is that this year they are considering double A and triple A playing. Although he mentions that major league baseball has already talked about, they have to have quarantine issues in those cities, but anybody knows anything about double A and triple A, those are played in much smaller towns with much less likelihood of pervasive coronavirus infections. Like if you go look at the map, Rural America is largely unaffected. That is largely where these teams live. Mm-hmm. And then to your point, saying that single A levels will be playing either in complexes or playing intra squad games. They already are trying to do what you've said. And then you factor in that at least in the lower A models, more and more teams, again, to your point, are owning their lower A clubs. Um, yes. The Astros own the Fayetteville Woodpeckers and they own the Corpus Christi Hooks, which is double A. I know that the Rangers own the um, Down East Wood Ducks. You're right. It is becoming a monopolization. And that's that's one of the, the fears is that this, this push towards Major League Baseball monopolization of of all their levels, major leagues and into the minor league affiliates, that, that this – concession that the players union made in order to um, to have their service time counted in 2020 is going to completely undermine the game below the major league level. Um, the impact on amateurs is being discussed pretty heavily uh, in by, by guys like uh, Jeff Passan, by Kylie McDaniel, by the folks over at BA and baseball prospectus and the ringer. Um, and us, I mean, that's the, and, uh, and, and absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the, fact, absolutely. the fact that you and I are having this conversation on a Sunday um, is, is I think telling one of the things that grosses me out. And I want you to speak to this. Um, and and I, I look, everything, everything that I look at through the lens of this in this last since January is like, like particularly at the MLB level level is through the eyes of an Astros fan. And I am mm-hmm. lectured by players about integrity of the game and preserving the integrity of the game. This shows you that this is about two groups of really rich people not caring or giving a damn what happens to the people that they were five years ago. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I've, I've been (laughs) very careful not to use um, the language I might use off, off of your show um, on the show, because I, I I think it's absolutely abhorrent. Uh, This, this really does seem to be the way in which the, this multi-billion dollar a year organization is, is trying to save a few hundred thousand dollars here or there in its operational costs, or, or more likely it's probably a handful of million dollars over the course of um, a season. But we're taking a look at, you know, maybe an organization like the, the, the Astros or the Blue Jays or the Yankees, or let's go to the National League, the Diamondbacks or the Dodgers. They might save, you know, three, $3 million a year in terms of whatever costs go into the minor leagues. Plus the, I want to say that about 25% of their draft bonus, their draft pool they'll save. 
So they're saving, you know, a handful of million dollars a year and sacrificing the long term um, growth and success of this game because baseball is, and I love baseball, but baseball can be long. It can be boring. Uh, there's nothing worse than a poorly played baseball game. And there's 162 games a year. So there's plenty of opportunities for people who don't already love baseball to see baseball in those, in that light. But if they are going to see baseball in their, their communities like Greenville, Tennessee, um, Charleston, West Virginia, uh, Colorado Springs, Colorado, or Lancaster, California, you know, they have the chance to see the future of major league baseball play. They have the chance to, to sit right next to the field. They have the chance to walk around and, and just enjoy the social aspect of being at a baseball game. They have a chance to get invested and have fun and enjoy baseball. Um, whereas if you take that away and you're relying exclusively on, on television, I, I don't see how you can really suck new generation no. of fans into it. The answer is you can't. Um, I yes. am a diehard Cowboys fan. I've been to one game in my whole life. I am a diehard <laughs> Astros game fan because I've been to 25 games a year. Baseball is a game experienced in person, appreciated better in person. It doesn't translate automatically to TV that same way. It is a much more intellectual game in some ways. One of the things mm-hmm. I wanted to ask you, so let's say that we the path ends up where um, – Minor league teams are now owned, not by the communities that they live in, but by their parent communities. One of the things minor league baseball has done to make a niche for itself is creating, is understanding that if like, if I own the, I'll use the Omaha Storm Chasers, which is an excellent example, the AAA club for the Royals. They don't yeah, get great to, organization. great organization. They don't get to control when or what their quality of the field is like. So they have to make people come to the park for all these other reasons. If now it's purely player development for, on the part of the major league clubs and they eventually own that stuff, I cannot imagine major league baseball owners continuing that legacy of, you know, imaginary friend night, which is what the storm chasers are supposed to have this year. Can do you see that as, as, a, as a possible thing? I, I, I struggle to, because even though the onus is on, um, the onus of the, the game day staff and the the general manager, the presidents, the sales group, it is on producing some sort of family friendly entertainment. It, it's very different. And I think that this is where um, minor league baseball, and major league baseball's relationship as these two individually operating capitalist entities work well. Whereas if major league baseball owns these minor league teams, you know, there is definitely going to be an onus on, um, you know, succeeding. They don't want to sink a whole bunch of money into an organization for it to, to not, for it to be a, a, a sunk cost. But I, I think that's how they've largely viewed their minor leagues. So I don't think we will see that. I think that the 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 focus on community, on making baseball fun, on uh, on on bringing people out to a ballpark to to enjoy a laugh or just you know like to have a, a good evening out. Um, I think that will go away. I think you will see that fewer and fewer organizations focus in on that. And I can. I don't want to point fingers because there are some organizations that are owned by their major league 
of um, teams that their minor league GMs do a great job doing promotional work for, but there are also several organizations that I have seen that have gone from private ownership to team ownership. And when they've gone from team ownership, I, I will say that I feel like the, the focus on the community has gone by the wayside more and more each season. And, and, and I will and give credit me, to the Astros. Like, like Corpus Christi and Fayetteville both do amazing jobs with all of that stuff. It doesn't have to be what we're talking about. I just think that when businessmen get in charge, sometimes the bottom dollar, they don't see things, things very far down the road. One of the things I think that yeah. bugs me the most about this draft thing is the people that are actually, actually affected weren't asked. Like, I don't know – some of these guys would like, especially if you're talking about getting drafted in rounds six through 40, um, they might've been willing to be drafted with no signing bonus if it meant a shot at the show. And I think that's the thing that bums me out the most is we're, we're going to be, we're lectured all the time about integrity of the game. Baseball has no history. No sport has any more, has a bigger history of having the least amount of integrity at a, at a major league level than baseball. Yet that's what we're lectured about. <laughs> Yes. I'm, I'm fired up about this, man. I don't know what to tell you. I, I don't know what to tell you either. And it's, it's so disheartening to me because it, it just seems like they are major league baseball is taking advantage of this awful situation to get their agenda pushed through. Um, and again, like I said earlier, and like we, you've mentioned, this just seems like it's, it's billionaires looking to, to shave off one to 2% of their, their expenditure in terms of minor leagues. And if you take a look at Keith law and I, I know Keith law is divisive amongst some of the baseball community um, because he is definitely a, I like Keith, but he's definitely, he believes in his opinion and he does not back down. But when you take a look at uh, the most recent article that he put out for the athletic, you know, if you draft a guy who gives you a, a three Oh war, which would be like a Bo Bichette, you have paid for your entire draft class by drafting him. Um, just the, the control you have over his contract for a handful of years. And I think that major league baseball is, you know, they're not recognizing just how much value they get out of the draft. And like you said, they, the, the people who are affected, the amateurs, they have no say in this matter. If you were an eighth, round level pick, you might, you might've been looking at a $200,000 signing bonus. And now 20,000 tops is what you're allowed. Um, and if you're a college junior, you basically, this is your chance to either cash in and, and go play pro ball or, um, wait until you're a senior and maybe you sign for a thousand dollars because that's what seniors get. So it's, it's shady. It's, it's shady. And unfortunately the people who are getting screwed over in this are the, the amateurs who have no say and the minor leaguers who are, you know, their pound, their, their, the value of their pound of flesh is very low in the eyes of major league baseball ownership and the commissioner's office. But they're going to leave the game better than they found it. Okay, so I'm going to have you on again right before opening day to talk about what we can do. Um, But you and I came up with an idea for what was supposed to be opening day. So why don't you tell everybody what we want to do to help keep keep minor league baseball on the minds of everybody? 
So um, April 9th was the original scheduled opening day for minor league baseball, um, at least the full season leagues. And what, um, you know, you, you, you threw the idea out uh, last time we chatted and, and we've kind of talked, kind of gone back and forth a little bit about it since, but we think it'd be a great idea to, um, for fans to wear their favorite piece of minor league baseball gear, whether it's a hat, a shirt, a jersey, or some combination of the three and sharing it on social media with the hashtags, save my minor league baseball and save MILB. Um, and if you want to use some of the other hashtags that are out there, like, uh, the Missoula paddleheads, um, out of Montana, they have the hashtag save my team, the state college spikes out of Pennsylvania have, um, the save our spikes and the Rocky mountain vibes have the, um, keep the vibes alive, whatever you want to do, please throw it out there. Please let, um, minor league baseball know that we still love it. Um, it really sucks that we're in the the position that we're in right now, but you know, unfortunately all of us in the world are kind of dealing with the, the COVID-19 breakout. Um, but if we can let minor league baseball know that we love them and let major league baseball know that we do not want to see these changes take place. Um, I, I think it's a great way to, to enjoy a little bit of baseball in times when it's not readily available. Um, to remind ourselves that the season is around the corner, but also to announce our solidarity with these community organizations and these small businesses, because really that's what these teams are. These are small businesses that are looking at being snuffed out by these large organizations. And it's really, it, it, it really sucks. And I could use a lot more colorful language to talk about the impact that it's going to have on the game day workers, the people who've made their careers in pro sports, the the impact it's going to have on the whole sports management industry and the owners, because they've, you know, I think right now that the low end of a minor league baseball team is for an, an A-level team is a $2 million minimum buy-in to get an affiliate. So, you know, these are successful small business people by and large, who buy into who buy these organizations with the hopes of having a minor league team. And they're going to see that investment, you know, completely wiped out. And I, I think that's unfair. And it's, it's the brash move of a handful of billionaires who, you know, just want to trim the fat a little bit more. This just in news from minor league baseball. And we're excited to welcome back to the show, friend of the show, Tom Reisenweber. He is a reporter for the Erie Times News, and he's here to talk a little bit about the contraction, the sea wolves, and all of this happening under the guise of COVID-19. Tom, how's it going, man? Do you guys have enough toilet paper? <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, it's funny. Uh, it was like like three days before I went to the uh, Target, and I usually just buy like a big pack so I don't have to keep going back and still, still going strong here. But, uh, you know, a couple of weeks, we maybe were a little worrisome. I know that my wife and I are tracking it and we've, we're doing like three days a roll. So I think we're good for a little while. You know, it's funny you think about it. How, I don't think anyone has ever tracked that before now. And I think almost everyone's tracking it now. So I wanted to bring you on to talk about two items that I think are dangerous for minor league baseball and are going to lead to this whole contraction thing happening without anybody noticing. And that was the reduction of the draft 
uh, to potentially as few as five rounds. And then the Jeff Passant article that talks about how they are basically counting on essentially playing the, at least the A games just in spring training complexes, not in their home cities in front of fans. Yeah, the the draft is is going to be really interesting to see how kids react to it because you think about you already have high school kids who are seniors losing their senior season, and then you have uh, college kids who lost their season. So, uh, will they come back for an extra year? Do they feel like their draft stock is high enough? Uh, you may see kids drop out of the draft because of this. Um, and really, it, it, how do you fill minor league teams with new prospects if you only have five rounds? Uh, I think it could be a potentially ugly thing as far as after that draft's over, uh, all of a sudden agents are calling kids, hey, you didn't get drafted in the first five rounds, but we want to sign you. And uh, teams that want to sign you, I know they, they said they were going to limit signing bonuses to $10,000 for undrafted uh, free agents, but uh, it could be a, a bidding war over these kids. So all of a sudden you have the NCAA keeping an eye on things. You have high school associations keeping an eye on things. Uh, it could be, it could potentially be a mess with only having five rounds with these kids who are good enough to go in the sixth, seventh round. Do they come out professionally or do they stay at their schools and play another the year? Uh, there's a lot of ramifications for this whole thing. And, uh, you know, as far as the A ball goes, it, it's going to be tough because I think a lot of these cities, uh, are used to having baseball by June, these short season cities, and not having baseball at all would be really tough on them. Uh, it's almost like yeah, a veiled attempt to get that 42 list passed uh, pass through, saying, well, if we can get away with playing these at the minor league uh, uh, spring training sites, why do we need them at all? Um, you know, I understand the whole you know worry about social distancing and having gr- uh, large groups together, but I think it's uh, a bad step toward a president having these uh, A games at spring training sites. Doesn't it seem like they're doing this where, hey, we're going to play a season here of all the A ball teams on the spring training complexes uh, because of COVID-19 with the idea that if you take away a season one year, it's easier to do it the next and the next and the next. Exactly. And you think about all the cities that these uh, A ball teams would not be playing and they count on this for their economy. And they're probably thinking during this whole coronavirus thing, well, you know, we'll, ha- we'll at least have our teams here in June for a short season. No big deal. Uh, and now all of a sudden their economy won't be able to count on that money coming in. Uh, I, I don't think uh, Rob Manfred understands the economic impact of these teams, not only in A-ball, but double-A, triple-A, the economic impact these teams have on their communities. Uh, you know, just I'll, you know, just for speaking on Seawolves alone, they give almost a million dollars in charity every year, uh, whether it's between holding events, donating actual money, or uh, spending hours uh, volunteering. Yeah, I just think that happens everywhere. Uh, you know, these teams are so important to their community from the charity uh, aspect, the economic aspect. And he just seems to not get that and, you know, try to fast track this whole, uh, you know, contraction thing forward. It does seem like man fraud. (laughs) I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to become Jim Rome and call him that. It's silly, stupid, low hanging (laughs) fruit. It does seem like Manfred, though, is being really dishonest and doing his best to just kind of take away this part of the game without anybody knowing. And I'm just tired of like being told to look out for the integrity of the game and the future of the game. Exactly. It, it almost seems like you know, the thing you notice with him is it, it almost like he wants to make 
decisions that affect the, the current state. He has no foresight into what's going to happen down the road. Um, and, you know, and, you know, maybe he, this is what he's trying to do secretly is to, you know, get rid of the minor league teams this way. Uh, it just seems like every decision he makes is, you know, what's best for right now, but not the ramifications for years from now, which I think other commissioners are pretty good at. They always uh, kind of look at the future, the long term and the short term. I, I just think Manfred is more short term than anything else. Uh, and this could be his, his play. You know, yeah, have these minor league teams play at their spring training complexes, uh, you know, get the communities used to not having baseball for a year and say that's it. Um, but it, <laughs> I just don't think he understands his legacy is trying to ruin this game. Man. It's just brutal right now. I just don't think he understands the long-term damage of him doing something like this does to the game and, and the future fan bases of the game. Exactly. And, you know, you think about uh, right now how desperate – we are as a country for any kind of sports and the first sport to come up is going to be baseball. And he's going to take that away from all those cities. They're not going to forget that. And I think it's going to really rub people the wrong way. Um, you look at how important baseball is going to be. You know, you know, you think about, I was just thinking the other day about how important baseball was after nine 11. Uh, and I know this is not the same thing, but it's it's another interruption in sports, and baseball is going to be so important to everyone when it comes back. But if you're going to start taking away from cities, you're going to start ruining the draft. You're going to start doing this and that. You're really you're going to ruin your best PR opportunity ever uh, by by making all these terrible rules and doing these terrible things. One of the things that I noticed is that a lot of the minor league teams that are on the list to be contracted are not owned by their parent club, and then the teams that are some of the teams that are not on the list are owned by the parent club. Do you think that's part of the goal is to get major league baseball to essentially vertically align and create a monopoly? Exactly. And, you know, I think, uh, you know, it's interesting. I, you bet you bring that up because that, that is true. That, uh, you know, these teams that are owned by MLB teams are not on the list. And I don't know what they make or what they don't make, but it's, it's funny that I would imagine either those teams were losing $200,000 a year, but they were owned by a major league team. They'd be fine, which is crazy. Uh, and, and I think, you know, you look at the G League, a lot of these teams are owned by uh, NBA teams. And they do pretty well. Um, maybe that's the future. I don't know if owners will want to give up that much. But you're going to see a fight from these owners of these 42 teams if they keep trying to push this through. I would imagine most of these A teams that are owned uh, are not going to want to – the owners are going to be furious if they move these games to spring training because you're going to make nothing on that. And you're, 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 everything you put in this franchise – is going away. So it's going to be interesting to see the future of the businesses, you know, with the, it seems like every year that Manfred's going to be commissioner, there's going to be this threat, this threat of getting rid of these teams. So yeah, as an owner, you got to decide what to do. I would hope the owners get together and just fight back and say, forget this. We're not going to take this anymore and see where the discussions go from there. And again, the thing I keep coming back to is, you know, players, major league team owners, in the commissioner's office, quit talking to me about preserving the integrity of the game. Quit talking to me about um, doing the right thing. All you did was sacrifice the future of your game so that way you get your service time back or you get – you didn't – and I'm not, I'm not going to begrudge anybody for acting in their own self-interest, but you – but you don't get to stand on the moral high ground and say that we're in this for everybody when, in fact, you did just act in your own self-interest. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, you want to act like you're the, you know, the big moral authority and you have so many problems and all this is happening under Manfred's watch right now. 
Uh, he's got to get some kind of control. That's the thing we need in this country, you know, get through all this is we need strong leadership, and he is not a strong leader at all. Uh, he's struggling right now to even figure out what to do. And everything is just about money and the bottom line. It's not about the fans, which is crazy. It, you know, the baseball is based on the fans. And you think about all these rules he's trying to come up with. They're ruining the game. They make no sense. You know, I was watching a spring training game before this all happened, and they had everyone mic'd up. Do that. And people would love that. I love watching it. I, I guarantee you ratings would double if you mic'd up these players during regular season games. Are you caught up on Brock Meyer yet? <laughs> I have not. Not yet. When you get when you get caught up, it's hilarious. Season four is essentially a parody where Brockmeyer becomes the commissioner of baseball, and it's just a parody of all of Manfred's lame attempts to save the game. <laughs> nice. And the whole time we're talking about this, I'm watching on Twitter uh, Spike from the Round Rock Express and one of the Round Rock Express team members are reading a children's book to a camera for kids. You know, and Major League Baseball does a lot of good things, but that level of community reach out for those communities just isn't happening. And it is literally why they're so important. Exactly. You know, yeah, I saw, you know, the Binghamton team that's on the list is, you know, simulating on MLB 2K, all their games that they would have played. Um, the Erie Seawolves are having a contest right now. They sent out a blank template of a Jersey and said, kids design it, color it, do whatever you want. And we're going to have, and the winner is going to have, uh, we're going to wear that Jersey this year. I just think minor league teams have such a, intimate connection to their communities that uh, far outweighs MLB uh, uh, connections to their communities. You know, obviously uh, MLB players and teams, they do charity work, they do this and that, but it, it seems like it's almost like small in comparison to minor league teams. You know, everyone here knows the players, they go and talk to them. Uh, they have players over to their houses for dinner because they know they don't really make a lot of money. Uh, you know, we have players stay at houses here. I, that you won't see that in MLB. So I just think that there's such a connection with minor league teams or communities that I don't think Manfred really understands that at all. Well, Tom, thanks again so much for being on Let's Get To, and I just hope everybody's safe, and uh, we're going to definitely have you back on as these things continue because uh, the story's not going away. So thanks again for taking some time out of your Sunday. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate it, man. Anytime you need me, I'm, I'm all for it. Most of the interviews that we have are actually archival interviews from previous episodes. I wanted to consolidate them in one place so it was easy for people to find them. And I picked these three because I think it paints a really good picture of just how impactful possible contraction is going to be to the game and to the communities and the people who, frankly, put a lot of money and effort and time on good faith for Major League Baseball to make all levels of minor league baseball happen. We're going to start out with the mayor of Chattanooga, Andy Burke. Mr. Mayor, how you doing? Great. Thanks for having me on. Uh, thank you. I want to talk to you a little bit about the lookout. So our show is a culturally focused minor league baseball show. I grew up in Houston, Texas. I didn't have minor league baseball, discovered it when my film career started and actually made it out to a lookouts game last year. And it was a blast. Went all the way from Austin. Talk to me a little bit about the lookouts and what they mean to Chattanooga. Well, I'm so happy to know that you attended the game. I, I didn't realize that when I uh, came on the show. Um, the lookouts are really important to our city like they are to many uh, of the places that have minor league teams. You know, we're always looking to ensure that families have options. We know that some people love music and some people like art and um, there's there's tons of things for people to do. We want We want everybody in our community to have options. And we know that minor league baseball is one of the most affordable options that families have in our community. And so the other day, 
um, you know, a father was coming up to me, telling me about, um, he had, uh, several kids. Um, and he says, I picked them all to the game because a, I can afford it. And B, some of them, right. some of my kids really like the baseball, uh, but other of my kids love the entertainment piece. And so you've got this, you've got this piece of, of the, uh, community that loves it on top of that. Um, you know, you have the jobs and the revenue that it provides for the community and it's a place that uh, you know the that that has pride in our baseball team. Uh, it's been around since 1885, so this is a long-standing tradition in our city. It's funny, or I guess not funny, but so you know, I do this baseball podcast, and the way the story gets leaked out is pretty dishonest. And I'll kind of walk you through our end of it. So, because we've been talking about this since April, when a anonymous article on 538 comes out talking about the way the Astros do minor league baseball and how other teams are going to copy it. And then it, it, we started talking about the, the story and then it seemed to escalate. And then it was going to be, well, it's just going to be a, you know, low a teams that might go away. And then I look and some of the most iconic double a teams, including the lookouts are on that list. How did you find out that about the potential contraction? Did you find out like I did through the media or did someone at least call you? How did that exactly go for the people of Chattanooga? Well, um, when, when I started hearing about the contraction of, of uh, minor league baseball, I did not think that Chattanooga would be even potentially on the list. Um, so Forbes just came out with an article saying that we're uh, slated to have the largest job growth in the country in 2020. We have one of the hottest real estate markets in the country. Lots of things in our community are going right. And so my natural inclination was, well, that, that stinks, but that's going to be somebody else's problem because, of course, Major League Baseball wants to be in Chattanooga given, given what's happening in our overall city. And so the way I found out about it was through the media, through the article in the New York Times that came out that listed Chattanooga as one of the teams. And somebody contacted me and said, hey, Chattanooga's on the list, which, you know, I just was shocked by. Um, and, I, and then I heard from the owner of the team, and we started talking about it. And even then, to be honest with you, I still thought, I, I just can't believe that they would make this kind of short-sighted decision. But one of the things that, that you know, I've certainly relayed to Major League Baseball and to others is that, you know, we're – Cities around the country are part of this equation. Uh, they're part of the equation for lots of different reasons, including the fact that many of them own the stadiums that uh, that the teams play in. The stadium is, which I'm more than happy to talk about, is one of the reasons that this is the reason that we're on the list. Um, so, so uh, you know, I, I just said, if we're part of the equation, you know, you can't leave us – uh, in the dugout, we need to be in the game when you make these decisions. So w- one of the things that I think um, people don't pay attention to is the role that government has in some things. And I would I would argue that sometimes government needs to be involved. Make the case, though, that this is definitely a situation because we've had Congresswoman Trahan on the show as well talking about the the, the congressional task force they have. Why does government need to be involved in this issue? Well, I think it's it's smart for Major League Baseball and others to include us. You do have when you talk about 
the the federal government side, of course, that you have issues with regard to wage exemptions that that Major League Baseball has, as well as, of course, the antitrust exemption, which is a huge benefit to Major League Baseball. And then from from our standpoint, many cities around the country have invested tens of millions of dollars in the stadium uh, that these minor league baseball uh, teams play in, and they frequently own the property that, that that's around them. And one of the things that, that I've tried to, um, to tell Major League Baseball is that, you know, you want to have greater investment in the stadium. That's what you're saying to people, and particularly to people like me. And the contraction uh, discussion actually has exactly the opposite effect because why would anybody build a stadium at, with the risk that the team is going to go away, even if not this time, then the next time or the time after that? And so for me, um, you know, I think that it's creating a lot of uncertainty and government um, is a big player in this on top of the effect that it has on our communities and employment, which, of course, is substantial. Yeah, I, I, I keep again, I got really shook by the story when the lookouts were on it, mostly because of the amazing time I had when I was there. Um Going, you know, meeting, meeting the team and all and meeting season ticket holders and hanging out with them and talking and thought to myself, this is where baseball belongs. And then I read this. I think one of the things that Major League Baseball is missing is that they are growing their own fan base by people's ability to go to a team like the Lookouts and watch them play. And they're missing out on possible talent who maybe would have played football or basketball, but they went to a Lookouts game once and fell in love with the game. Can you speak to the the homegrown aspect of what baseball means? Well, I think lots of people in our community experience baseball at its highest level through the lookouts. That's that's where they go and they watch games. And again, lots and lots of kids go there either with a big group uh, through group ticket sales or with their family. And they watch, I mean, these are highly skilled players um, and it's exciting, it's fun. And you, if you go to a game and you're a kid, I played, I played baseball when I was young. I'm a baseball fan. You know, I, you want to be part of the sport. I think the other piece that baseball is really missing out on is the connection that it, that it breeds to, uh, to other teams. You know, uh, we, we were formerly a Dodgers affiliate and a few years ago, um, Yasiel Puig essentially went virtually, I, I don't remember if he even made a, you know, got a cup of coffee at, at AAA, but he essentially went from, from the lookouts to the Dodgers. And if you were following Major League Baseball at the time, you remember he just came out on fire. Like he jumped to the Major Leagues and he just came out with an amazing, uh, some amazing games and stats. And everybody in Chattanooga was, well, we were watching the Dodgers and watching Major League Baseball because there's a guy who just a few weeks ago was in Chattanooga. Um, and so that fan base in places that are growing like Chattanooga is really important to Major League Baseball. I don't understand why they want to you know, want to do anything that would upset it, particularly you know, if you see the ongoing 
issues with uh, with sign stealing and others that baseball is having. Yeah, again, as an Astros fan, I'm well aware of the sign stealing uh, allegations. And it's funny because, you know, speaking to that, of all the things that the Astros have kind of been involved in, and they really started this plan, that that's probably the sign stealing is probably the thing I'm the least angry at them about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, you know, my understanding is that this was at one time called the Houston plan. Um, and, uh, you know, I. I know that the major league owners are sitting down this weekend to consider, you know, to, at their regular meeting, and I'm sure this is going to be on the agenda. And one of the things that we want to do is just say, hey, this, you know, this is not the right time or place for these discussions. Well, if you can, talk to me. I mean, you guys are going to do something about it. Talk to me a little bit about the task force that y'all put together. Well, we have more than 100 mayors that are signed up for it. Obviously, there are only 42 cities that are uh, inherently affected, um, or at least right now on the list that we we believe exists. So it's many more than that. And it goes speaks to that idea that the uncertainty creates a lot of you know problems not only for the teams on the list, but also for the teams that theoretically uh, are going to continue uh, beyond the contraction. So, um, so what we're doing is trying to make our views known to Major League Baseball, trying to make our views known to minor league owners to ensure that they understand where we are to get more of a seat at the table. Also to hear what uh, Major League Baseball has to say about these issues and to see if we can um, come to some better understandings about uh, what the what the possibilities are. Uh, we also want to communicate and speak for our fans. So that's one of the jobs that mayors have every day is to speak on behalf of the people of their city. We're very practically minded. Mayors typically are not, you know, people who are just talking just for the sake of of hearing themselves uh, speak. You know, we're trying to get things done and. We need, to, you know, we're speaking on behalf of the residents of our city to say that we've all invested a lot in all kinds of different ways in our teams, and we want them to stay. Last thing, then, what could, what would you suggest to our listeners? How can they get involved to help keep this thing going? Well, first of all, let Major League Baseball know how you feel. Um, second of all, um, you can always uh, sign up um, on our. Uh, major on our um, uh, task force by contacting me. I'm mayor at chattanooga.gov. Uh, again, mayor at chattanooga.gov. Send me an email and we'll give you some more information about various places that, that we're going to um, to try to activate people. I think there'll be more opportunities along the way for people to um, to get involved. And But most of all, you know, uh, if there's 100 mayors that are signed up, there's a lot in your community. And so make sure you support them or ask your local mayor to be part of the task force. Well, Mayor Burke, thank you so much for taking some time out of your day to be on our show. And and we will keep pushing the issue from here. And hopefully Major League Baseball will open up and see how important teams like the Lookouts are to the game. Thank you so much. One of the things that the contraction story first started was the original story said that, oh, it was going to be all of these short season A and rookie leagues and they would be moved around. And then the list leaked and a couple of high profile double A teams that also made the list, which 
made the list suspect at first. As a result, we wanted to make sure we got one of those double A owners on the team. And so we reached out to the Binghamton Rumble Ponies and their owner, John Hughes. John, thanks so much for joining us this early in the morning. Oh, sure. No, it's great to be with you. I'm on the East Coast, so got to sleep in a little bit this morning, which is always nice. And, uh, the nice and chilly East Coast. It's only 70 here, so I, I it's early, but I guess I win. Um, but I want to talk a little bit about the Rumble Ponies. It's actually been a club we've been watching um, all season long and one of the one of our favorite brands, one of our favorite designs. But a little bit. What does that com- that team mean to the community of Binghamton? Well, you know, several years ago, uh, before I bought the team, uh, there were a lot of rumors and consternation about, oh, the team is moving and it's being sold or relocated. And, you know, I came in and bought the team under a lot of uh, duress, uncertainty, and the future was really up in the air, which was the number one reason I decided, hey, we're going to rebrand this team. This isn't uh, uh, the New York Mets team. Uh, We're not the Mets. Blue and orange represent the Dodgers and Giants that left New York City, right, for for greener pastures. And I didn't want to kind of continue that tradition. I wanted to put our own staple on it and say, you know, we are Binghamton's team. We are going to represent this community. And it was a little bit of foreshadowing, right, in that years down the road, this would really come into play because we're not the New York Mets team. We are Binghamton. And, and it means everything to the community. You know, a lot of people talk about, Oh, you're last in the Eastern League in attendance and your attendance isn't great. But guess what? I mean, I have this conversation with people all the time. We're not Hartford. We're not Richmond. We're not cities of over a million people. You, you know, we're not Portland where we are a tourist destination uh, on the, in the Northeast. Uh, I mean, we're a, a market of 225,000 people, probably closer to 200,000. And we draw great for our area. I mean, we're never going to be able to compete with cities over a a million people. It's just, it's mathematically impossible. So we do well for our market. And that's what I think we should be commended on. Well, and I also think that the, that, that, that made the point of minor league baseball and the point of both affiliated and independent league baseball is that communities, regardless of size, need access to the sport for the sport to grow. Oh, yeah. I mean, Binghamton is about two and a half, maybe three hours at most to, uh, from City Field or Yankee Stadium, you, you know, and the cold hard truth of it is a lot of people uh, in that community can't afford to spend a Tuesday night or even a weekend and spend $1,500 or $2,000 to go down to the city and, and watch a game. I mean, these are people that are, are challenged and the, the area was uh, uh, devastated years ago by the loss of the manufacturing industry and it's coming back. It's not there yet, but we're, we're real close. And our people without this, there is no baseball. There is no baseball. They're, they're, they're not driving to fire Island on the 4th of July weekend. We are their 4th of July weekend. And, and we take that seriously. And we want to put on a great show for our fans, which is what connects them to baseball. Well, it's, and again, it's funny because you're, you guys are one of the brands we'd actually circled to have on profiling the team next year. And I still want to do that. But the reason why we're doing the call early is because you were included in minor league baseball's, uh, the list that major league baseball had leaked out of possible 42 teams to be contracted. And so I guess my first question is, how did you find out the rumble ponies were on the list? Did you see it like I did in the media or did somebody at least tell you? Yeah, you know, it was very surprising. Uh, I was watching the World Series and I saw across the scroll across the bottom. This is a Major League Baseball's proposal to contract 42 teams. And you start going, "Okay, well, what's this all about? And then the next few days, it just comes out of the media. You know, know, I think that communication hasn't been uh, the best. And 
But I understand sometimes in negotiations, you got to try to keep things close hold to protect the, the interest of the negotiations. But unfortunately, in this circumstance, it, it all kind of linked up. But yeah, I found out like everybody else through the general media. It's interesting um, because I'm, I'm, you know, and listeners of the show know this, that I am a, a pretty hardcore bleed blue and orange Astros fan. And I first heard about the plan Randomly enough, my mother-in-law saw an article in 538 about how the Astros had changed the way they do minor leagues. And it's of all the things the Astros are involved in right now, this is the least proud of, of my team that I am. And then I saw that it had, that ESPN ran a similar story around the same time that had just mentioned a lot of low A teams and short season teams. And then I saw the list of teams and I saw several double A teams like the Rumble Ponies that are iconic and part of minor league baseball on the list. And it just, if the whole thing feels, Really, really shady. Oh, oh, yeah. I mean, it really does. And, you know, the Astros, they're a great organization and have done some 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 very tremendous things for the sport. But at the same time, it's easy to say what we're doing works when you're finished basically last and tanked for about five years. We're right. picking at the top of the draft. Uh, it's not too hard to pick uh, people and, and have them be, come out on top uh, for sure. So we'll, we'll see how that model plays out over the next few years when they're picking at the bottom of the first round or maybe not even at that, that high, depending on how this science dealing thing comes out. Right. Um, well, but, you it, know, I mean, that's, it, it is what it is for the Astros and, and we'll let them suffer their own for their own actions. Absolutely. And, and I, you know, I think one of the things that I think the Astros miss, and I'm going to use the Astros as the example because they are spearheading this plan is they are purely looking at it from a, how do we evaluate players? I don't think they understand how baseball has grown and baseball has grown in communities across the country in teams of all sizes and affiliations. Oh, oh yeah. And, you know, I think the thing that the, the analytics people are really missing is how do you grow baseball? So, so you know, your next Mike Trout, let's go watch, let the kids play, Right. If the kids don't go to the games, if the kids don't get exposure to baseball, how are you going to grow the sport and how are you going to create the next uh, Garrett Cole, the next Mike Trout, the next Aaron Judge? I mean, all, all phenomenal players. And I mean, how do you grow that if people don't have access to the game in Iowa, in upstate New York, in West Virginia? Where do these kids come from? They're going to be out playing soccer or whatever other sport they happen to get exposure to. Well, that's a great point because, I mean, you, you hear this all the time every time there's a draft that – there's usually some number one pick in that first 30 picks whose first time they'd ever been to a major league park was the day they were introduced after being signed because they grew up watching it in smaller communities and more rural communities and communities all over the country. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, a, a disproportionate number of ultimately major leaguers come from rural, small town America. That's that's where baseball happens. So for for your park, you guys just did, if I'm reading this correctly, in 2016, some improvements to um, NYSEG Stadium. This is the part that I think that that Major League Baseball is going to have to really rationalize because they make this argument in one hand that, well, these are all stadiums that are falling apart, that they don't meet any standards. And yet I have like... In the, in the 30 minor league games I went to last year for our show, I went to a lot of parks that maybe should have been on this list that aren't, and a lot of parks that are on the list that shouldn't have been. How is Major League Baseball going to rationalize the fact that a lot of these communities have put money into these parks for now nothing? Oh, I know. And a lot of owners have put uh, money in, in, 
into these parks. So over the past three years, uh, $9.5 million has been put into NYSEC Stadium for upgrades. And, you know, a lot of these things have been coordinated directly with the New York Mets. The new batting tunnel, changes to the locker room, changes to the clubhouses, uh, the field. You, you know, last year we had a few issues with the field, so we completely redid the field again uh, this year. But that's that's the troubling part for us, right, is how you go put in a new video board, a new field, new seats, new locker room, new batting tunnel, and they tell you that hey, hey, uh, you don't meet the standards, but yet every bit of everything that we did was coordinated with Major League Baseball. So that that part has uh, some legs to grow before it gains any traction on my end. And same thing with we want to be geographically separated. I mean, you could walk from Nysic Stadium to Syracuse where AAA is, and if you had a few days, you could probably walk down to City Field. Um, so you can't really use that as a as rationale for us as far as any kind of contraction talks. Well, and I'll tell you, because where, where I live, I live in, I live in, obviously on my shows out of Austin, Texas. And so we're, we do a lot of the Texas league and no team has a further driving schedule in affiliated minor league baseball than the Texas league. And none of those teams are on the list for contraction. So it, their, their argument doesn't hold water in that area either. Oh yeah. And then you look at, uh, Hey, let's bring the Sugarland Skeeters into uh, minor league baseball. But yet we conveniently failed to mention that one of the owners of the Houston Astros is one of the owners of the Sugarland Skeeters. Yeah, that's a whole, right. That, that it's a whole, I mean, and that was something that when I saw that floated, I went, I immediately went into super conspiracy theory mode and was like, well, what they're going to do then is they're going to let Round Rock go to wherever because, and then they will somehow make Sugarland the AAA affiliate of the Astros. I think Crane had always wanted one closer. So I think that that leads I think that really captures the whole point. There's a lot more going on than what Major League Baseball is saying is going on in the story. Oh, oh yeah, for sure. And, and, you know, you hit on like a a nerve for us, right? So you look at, okay, bringing one of this AAA team closer. Well, that's great. Let minor league baseball come into his territory. That option was presented uh, as far as I know. And Houston said, no, this is our territory. We're we're, we're not going to uh, allow minor league baseball into it. So by default, they let independent baseball come in and build a multi-million dollar fantastic stadium for people other than their own players to play in. Right. And now it's all circling back. It, it's it, it it's again, of all the things my team has been involved in, this is the thing that has me the most embarrassed. Um, so let's let's uh Let's say that the worst case happens and, and there is contraction in Binghamton. Like, what will that mean, do you feel like, to the community, not just for baseball, but I mean, we're talking about jobs. We're talking about lots of other economic impact. Oh, yeah. Well, there's also a morale thing to it, right? When you have a, when you have an economy, when you have a community that is rallying and, and digging themselves out of a hole when IBM left and a lot of other major manufacturing left and they're digging themselves out of a hole – and then when you see is minor league baseball just be taken from them and told, hey, you're not worthy and that everything that you've done is irrelevant, I mean, that's kind of a gut punch. So, so there's that aspect, which is more prevalent than the dollars and cents. So then when you start looking at, okay, how are we going to continue baseball in in Binghamton? Uh, the bottom line is there probably won't be because John Hughes won't be part of any dream league uh, that happens because that is not a financially – supportable situation where you can't take on all of these additional expenses and still try to make money and not, not only make money, but I'm talking about break even. Uh, I've, I've kind of run the math and 
there's no way we're going to break even under this scenario, taking on three or four hundred thousand dollars of additional uh, expenses. And then also you factor in, hey, how are you going to go to your sponsors who are supporting double A baseball and say, hey, we're no longer affiliated with Major League Baseball, but we need you to pay the same amount of support for, for a product that's probably not even half of what you're putting out there now. It's a tough sell. The Dream League part of that, I think, is maybe the most insulting. You're basically, Major League Baseball is basically telling you all to become independent-ish. You'd be better off joining the Atlantic League at that point if if that's what, what was your option. Oh, oh, oh for sure. I mean, we, we would probably look at doing something like that, going independent baseball, where there is not only a level of support, but a level of trust. And I think that's one thing here that's been really undermined is trust. You, you know, for the better part of uh, a decade, there's been a lot of trust between the two organizations. And now all of that has really been undermined by nefarious motives that nobody's really being honest about. How about that? No, I think that's great. So what can we do? Like, I know that um, a lot of people on media, they're using the hashtag safe hometown baseball. They are putting pressure on, on representatives. What can we do as minor league baseball fans to kind of help put the pressure on the major, on major league baseball? Yeah. You know, I think you can do a couple of things, right? Um, for sure. Create awareness is, is, is the big thing. This is really taking off and becoming uh, something that I'm proud of is at, it's becoming a grassroots discussion for people all across America. And that, Hey, we in, in, in Iowa, we, we want to play baseball. You, you know, you look at uh, Williamsport. Hey, it's a great community founder of little league. They play little league world series there. They played major league baseball games there. And now all of a sudden they're not good enough. Uh, so creating the awareness and, and having discussions just like you were doing, we certainly appreciate that. Also contacting your uh, representatives. I mean, the House of Representatives, as well as many senators we talked to, they have been a fantastic supporter. In these days of troubled politics, right, <laughs> the red team versus the blue team and all that drama, it doesn't exist in baseball, which, again, is why baseball is America's sport, because it brings people together for no other reason then it's, it's baseball. I mean, it's as simple as that. Families, hot dogs, having fun and enjoying one another. But I think the other thing that people could do, such as you Houston Astro fans, hey, when they call you and want to renew your season tickets, ask them, hey, why are you guys trying to kill off minor league baseball? That's something else that uh, I think people across America could do as well. Well, I, I really think that's uh... – exactly what we need to do. We need to put a lot of pressure on, uh, John, it's been a pleasure having you on the show this morning. I wish it was under better circumstances. We will circle back with you guys during the season to check in, but thanks for at least taking the time to be on. Let's get to this morning. No, it'd be great. And most of all, I'll be looking forward to talking to you in the 2021 season when there's double a baseball in Binghamton. I want you, I want to invite you up for a game for that, for sure. It's a date. <laughs> hey, thank you. Appreciate your time. And we also wanted to share our interview with Congresswoman Lori Trahan. She represents the Lowell, Massachusetts area, home of the Lowell Spinners. So it is our honor to welcome to the show Congresswoman Lori Trahan from Massachusetts. She's the co-chair of the Save Minor League Baseball Task Force. Congresswoman, I know you're super busy, but thank you so much for being on Let's Get To. Oh, it's my pleasure. So, you know, I grew up in Houston, Texas, where minor league baseball is not a thing. We have a major league team. Um, but I discovered it much later and absolutely fell in love. So can you just kind of explain to people why it's so important to communities like your hometown of Lowell, Massachusetts? 
Absolutely. You know, the Lowell Spinners, uh, I grew up in Lowell, um, but the Lowell Spinners is my team and they're an affiliate of the Boston Red Sox. uh, you know, minor league teams across the United States provide a critical economic and cultural benefit um, to their communities. Uh, so when the MLB announced uh, their plan to cut 42 teams from the minors, uh, what I think we all quickly realized is that would devastate these communities. And so Congress does have an obligation and, frankly, a right to be part of these discussions, seeing as though that cut would impact uh, so many of our uh, hometowns, um, but also so many fans and so many families who don't have access to the major leagues, either because they don't live um, uh, close by to a major league team or they just can't afford it. I mean, I grew up at work, Lowell's a working class city and there are too many families who can't go into Fenway, but they can go see the spinners uh, on a summer night and with their family and have you know, a, a, you know, food and, and something to drink and even afford to buy some merchandise. So right. it's, uh, it's, it's been an incredible, um, it's been an incredible, uh, cultural benefit to, uh, to the city. And I think that lays out perfectly why government should be involved. So with you forming the Save Minor League Baseball Task Force, what do you hope to accomplish with Major League Baseball as far as getting them to look at, at the plan? So first, you know, we know, we understand that they're at the beginning of their conversation. Uh, and so I think our intention um, has been to make sure that they know where we stand on this issue. Uh, you know, I often use the, the example because I, you know, I, I worked in the private sector for 13 years before I came here. And, you know, sometimes we can get seduced by that spreadsheet, right? Like if you're looking for cost efficiencies, it's easy to delete a line or a, or a cell on a spreadsheet to get there. Um, but what Congress wants to do is remind the MLB that these are communities, these are families, these are people who rely on minor leagues to bring their sons and daughters to games to get a chance or a glimpse of someone who's going to play in the big league someday. Uh, And I think that voice is such an important one as they continue uh, with this discussion on this uh, on this particular proposal. Um, As you know, Congress has been uh, a great partner uh, to not just Major League Baseball, but to all pro sports for over a century. Uh, And so, you know, we want to continue that partnership. Uh, So we're monitoring these conversations and these negotiations closely. What would you say that people like me can do? You know, obviously you guys are doing your, your duty to your communities by pressing the issue. What would you suggest to normal people? Should they be writing the MLB? Should be they be putting pressure um, through their own teams? Absolutely. You know, I'm going to go home um, today. today uh, and before I come back to Washington, we're going to have a Save the Spinners uh, meeting in my hometown, right? So that the community's voice is lifted and part of this conversation. Uh, and I think every community that's going to be impacted should be doing the same thing. Uh, you know, letter campaigns to the commissioner is absolutely important. I mean, the whole point is for them to understand the stakes of this decision. Um, and these are, you know, people all across the country that would, you know, frankly mourn uh, minor league baseball going away in, uh, in their community. And so I do think that, uh, the, you know, right now we're kind of carrying this torch, but it's spread to the Senate. Uh, it's going to spread to the governors. Um, but the people who live and uh, enjoy these teams in their communities, I think they have a lot to say and a lot to add to this as well. And I think the proof is that that, that it such, seems to be such a bipartisan 
when we don't have a whole lot of that these days as a real good sign of how important this is. You bet. I mean, that's uh, uh, one of the positive externalities of, you know, baseball bringing us all together is that you're exactly right. I mean, Washington is uh, is pretty divided right now uh, and for obvious reasons. But, you know, this is this is an area where we all agree, uh, you know, building this coalition took days, not weeks, not months. (laughs) Uh, We literally came together like glue uh, in a moment's notice. And I think, you know, one, the country wants to see us, you know, build that muscle again. But then, two, when you find, like, common ground that's so clear, um, of course there's going to be a very bipartisan and a coordinated response. And I think baseball has continued to do that, you know, throughout our history, and it's doing, you know, it's happening right now. Well, Congressman, thank you so much. I know y'all are super busy for taking the time to be on Let's Get To. It means the world to us, and we're going to keep pushing this as well. Thank you for all your help. And uh, we're, we're, we're going to save the minor leagues together. So thanks so much. And now on to close it out, the right-hander from Houston, Texas, James Christopher. So that about wraps us up. And, you know, I thank everybody for listening. And I hope that those of you who are really involved in this contraction story, who care about it, who know that it matters, will bookmark this one in case anybody wants to know what this is all about. I think we've done a pretty good job of painting the picture. I think one of the things that bugs me the most about all of this isn't just the hypocrisy from the members of Major League Baseball, both players and owners who whine and bemoan the integrity of a game that as Ken Burns says at the very beginning of the baseball documentary is often built on anything but integrity. But the hypocrisy and the holier than thou is one thing. The thing that I think also bugs me is that the tea leaves are there. It's not a conspiracy theory to see what major league baseball is doing because it definitely is. It's it's expediting a plan they've made public. But the concept of doing it underneath the shadow of a health crisis, to me, is nothing short of somebody profiting off of war. It is, could end up being, I think, one of the low points of Major League Baseball. And I love the game. And I can't wait for it to get back. And I'm still going to go. Maybe I'm part of that hypocrisy, too. But I think it's really important to know what is happening to America's national pastime. And these teams, if you live in these communities or if you are someone who's a fan of minor league baseball and lives in a minor league community, even if you're not one of the teams on the list, you've got to make your voice heard. You've got to make your feelings known and you've got to put pressure on your government to enact the things they can enact to make sure this doesn't happen because it might, it might not be your, your team this year, but it might be your team next time. We, we need a united front across minor league baseball because if some teams are a loud enough squeaky wheel that they're able to appease one team at a time, if teams are in it just for themselves, they'll just turn and find a new team. So it could be your squad. And if you grew up in a major league city and you've never been to a minor league baseball game and the only thing you know about minor league baseball or major league three or the movie Bull Durham, baseball is built on the minors. Obviously, some of the best prospects start out 
honing their craft in some of these small towns playing single A ball, double A ball, triple A ball. You also get a lot of players that maybe weren't highly touted coming out of high school or college who kick around the minors for three or four years and then they're late bloomers and it clicks. The other thing you're missing, and this is something we won't feel for a while, future fans find the game in the minor leagues, but also think about the number of players who talk about the fact that the first time they ever knew what baseball was, was going to a minor league game. It is a small sport at the major league level. 30 teams, that's it, across the whole country. And as we said before, it isn't like football where there are national games it's like six times a week or something. By making this short-term business decision, we are letting Major League Baseball cut itself off at the knees. And look, let's be honest, uh, Rob Manfred won't be commissioner when they feel the effect of this. Chances are Jim Crane won't own the Astros when they feel the effects of this. And I don't can't think of other owners. So they're doing it now to save themselves money now at the expense of the game that we all love. And I, for one, am tired of seeing the mega rich step on people that they think are lower than them to add a little bit more money to the bottom dollar. I have no problems with people being rich. I have no problems with people making good in this country. I obviously work hard to try to do the same thing. But this this mix of gross lack of integrity and then overt hypocrisy and how we're dealing with the very foundations of our game, it's got to stop or it's going to change it irrevocably and in a way that I'm not sure most people are going to like it. I'm going to be happy going to Indy Ball and Collegiate Summer League if that's what we have left. But I think it'll be a worse off game if we cut the minor leagues off at the knees. It's If we love baseball, if you're a fan, if you're a player, if you're a owner of any level of team, you have to take care of the game at all levels because it's an ecosystem and we rely on each other to make it all work. Baseball is a game that needs fans. And if you don't believe me, one of the concerns that Major League Baseball has stated about not wanting to have games without fans that are just televised is that of all the sports, they rely the most on the money from the turnstiles. They rely on people in, in the stands. If you cut your fan mates off in its infancy, where are those fans going to be 5, 10, 15 years from now? And again, this commissioner and these owners, they don't care. They're worried about their bottom dollar now. I'm worried about, will the game still be there for me to enjoy with my family 15 years from now? So thanks for listening. We'll be back in a couple of days with some more focus on some of the great minor league teams and what they're doing to kind of help everybody through COVID-19. Do your best to continue social distancing. And if you need something to do, write your Congress people about saving minor league baseball. It's important. And so until next time, Stay inside. I really prefer the cherry Pop-Tarts to anything else. Don't at me and let's get to you.